Well, good morning. So the kids are headed out for children's sermon. I'll remind you that we are continuing in this um, in this brief sermon series on the hope of heaven. We wonder, what is heaven like? And there are no shortages of, of books and, and movies that seek to satisfy that curiosity. We eat them up. But the biblical record, biblical pictures of heaven, they're mysterious. They are less clear than, than what we might look for. We, we must piece them together across the whole counsel of God, across the whole record of Scripture. There are visions given, though. We look to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, and Isaiah was given a glimpse of the throne room of God. We look to Ezekiel chapter 1, and Ezekiel 2 was given a vision of heaven. These two visions were awesome in their glory, the, the glory of God that was shown to these two prophets of old, and their response was to fall on their face in worship. In the New Testament, we also have records of visions of of heaven. Second Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul describes being caught up into the third heaven, into paradise. And, and he speaks of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that were given to him. But, but he tells us that these things that he heard, they, they cannot be told, things which man may not utter. Glimpses of glory given to these men in order to sustain them in their labors, to sustain them in their long ministries. And then lastly, the Apostle John was given a revelation to sustain us. And we'll look to his revelation more next week, the revelation that is more clear in terms of the new heavens and the new earth. But the point I'm trying to make is that the curiosity that we desire to be satisfied, it, we, don't, we don't find the specifics that we're looking for in Scripture, particularly not in one place, but we see across the whole of Scripture truths of what our eternity in heaven is to be like. What we know of heaven is pulled from the whole. And just as we did last week in this topical series, we will look to various passages across the whole of Scripture. I encourage you to keep your bulletins open. They're listed for you. But we're going to begin by looking to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through, um, through 31. There we see Jesus' teaching about the rich man and Lazarus. Brothers and sisters, this is the inerrant and infallible word of the living God. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. 
The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, for if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Would you bow with me? Father, this is your word and every bit of it is true. And yet on our own, as we, as we look to these words, they seem as if words on a page. We, we need your spirit. Grant us your spirit to to open our eyes and ears to your truth, your unchanging truth, and in it to find life in Christ. Do this, we pray, in his name. Amen. Have you ever been on one of those long journeys that just seem like they will never end. You're waiting to get to this final destination, but it, it keeps seemingly eluding you. You, you. you long to be sustained, wondering if you'll ever get there. The journey to Hyderabad, India can seem like that. Over the years, we've made many trips to to Hyderabad to go and to be with our ministry partners there with the Presbyterian Church in India to encourage them and taking various routes to Hyderabad. One particular carrier on one particular route necessitates an overnight stay in Mumbai. So as we have made that trip, we arrive late in the evening or early in the morning, depending on your perspective, in Mumbai. We actually leave the airport. We go and stay at a, actually a fairly nice hotel. We get, get a restful night's sleep. We wake up, get a good breakfast, a few more hours to, to recover, and then we go back to the airport. We hop on another plane, go from Mumbai to Hyderabad, which is our final destination. And here's the thing. Mumbai was a temporary stop. And yet, it was part of the same journey. We rested there on our way to the final destination. Let me ask you, did you look at 
the title for this sermon series and want to raise your hand and say, uh, Pastor, what, what are you talking about with this temporary heaven? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me share a little bit about what we're talking about here and maybe set the stage for where we're going over the next two weeks. You see, in the centuries and millennia since Jesus was here with us on earth. Theologians have, have studied the Word of God to understand His teaching about heaven. And as they've studied the Word of God, they've, they've described what we believe the Bible teaches about the heaven that exists now, described it as the intermediate state. Now, no, I'm not talking about a Roman Catholic doctrine of purgatory. I'm talking about the heaven that exists now before the second coming of Jesus when he comes again in power and with him all of the dead are raised. At that time the new heavens and the new earth will be ushered in. That is the resurrection. That is the new heavens and the new earth. That is the final state and we will go there next week. This week, we were looking at the intermediate state. The Westminster Confession of Faith is a, is a helpful, beautiful summary of what the Bible teaches us about God, about man, about God's design for our relationship with Him, and yes, about heaven. The Westminster Confession of Faith in the Shorter Catechism, a series of questions and answers that teach us in bite-sized chunks biblical theology. They will serve as sort of a baseline guide for, for where we are this week and next week. You might have seen on the front page of the bulletin uh, our meditation for worship this morning. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 37, which asks the question, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at their death? The question and answer that I'll often present as we are by the graveside, about to commit a body to the ground. But there we find the answer. The souls of believers are at their death, made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in their graves till the resurrection. Again, not Purgatory, which is, a, which is an extra-biblical Roman Catholic doctrine whereby there's this some notion of, of souls awaiting, uh, being purged and refined to be made worthy of heaven. Well, Jesus is the one who makes us worthy of heaven. This doctrine of the intermediate state that we see in Scripture, there is an immediacy to it. An immediacy to our being ushered in to glory. And yet, it is a stopping off place where we await the final resurrection. We'll get there next week. But how do we see this in the Word of God? And what are the markers of this intermediate state? Just to look to the Word, and, and I'll present to you three markers, one of them temporary and two of them permanent. The first, which is a temporary marker, is separation from the body. Last week as we opened this series, we talked about death. 
we described that death actually is the unnatural state, that life is natural. And the marker of death, the marker that is brought on by the curse of sin, Adam and Eve's sin, and our sin, that marker is decay. Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. Decay doesn't wait until death. It's an ongoing process. Many of us experience it now. I turned 50 this week. I'm reminded. It's called aging. Aging is decay. And whether we like to admit it or not, it culminates in death, dust to dust. There's a contrast. I saw the contrast recently in a beautiful way. We, a few weeks ago, we celebrated the sacrament of infant baptism. And as we did, there was a young baby boy, and he had some life in his eyes. Amen? Parents? had a laugh with the parents afterwards because I looked at the gleam in this boy's eyes. It was the spunk of life. And I told them I cannot wait to see his body grow up to that glimmer I see in his eyes. It will be fun to watch, particularly from a distance. <laughs> but what do we do at a funeral? Particularly those funerals where there is an open casket. With, with a somber, dignified gaze, we walk in a line and pass by this casket, and we, we glance over these bodies, and, and we will make some version of the same comment. Oh, they looked so peaceful. It was as if they were just sleeping. We say these things, and yet we know that there is something vital that is missing. It's the vitality of life. The body is there, but the life is not. The body in the casket is there, but is not whole because the soul has departed. Contrast is there. There's some life in that baby boy's eyes body in the casket, but that contrast is not hopeless, because it's not the whole story. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 and 6 and 8, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So we're always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Away from the body and at home with the Lord. Whereas Ecclesiastes 12, 7 puts it, dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Spirit and soul used interchangeably in Scripture to describe the inner essence of our being. 
it describes here a separation that exists upon death, a separation of body and soul. You know, tents don't hold up to the weather. If you doubt that, I can tell you a story later. I tried to stay in a tent in the midst of a storm. It doesn't work. The weather wins out. The tents will not hold up. Paul talks about the tent that is our earthly body, but he describes something that is more substantial when he beautifully says, death is swallowed up in life. It's pointing us to the hope of heaven. Yes, the body waits in the grave, but praise be to God, our souls are in glory. This is the temporary state. And there is a joy in it because what it means is that our bodies will one day, unless Jesus comes back, our bodies will rest in the grave, but they will rest with all the saints that have gone before us so that one day, in the glorious day of resurrection, we will all enjoy resurrected bodies together. And that's where we're going. But, but there is substantial substantial blessing for us in this temporary state when our bodies and souls will be separated and that that blessing comes as we are ushered immediately into the presence of Jesus last week I told you that there was a word and a concept that we were going to be hearing about over this next seven weeks the word is with the concept if I were to make up a word is withness is with Jesus. Scripture is telling us that that is the blessing that is not temporary. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus is he's on the cross. And he's flanked on either side by a pair of criminals. Those criminals are there on a cross, suffering in pain and agony because they are receiving the just penalty for their crimes. And they know it. Jesus, on the other hand, he bore no guilt. The pain and agony that he suffered on the cross was vicarious. He was suffering for our crimes. And yet there he was. In a state of earthly shame, one of the criminals beside him chose to die as he had lived. He mocked the king of kings. But the other humbled himself. He pleaded for Jesus to remember him when he entered into his kingdom. And in a beautiful act of grace, the same beautiful act that Jesus speaks over us, He said these words to the criminal beside him who had no time to atone for his own personal sins by working them off in a series of good deeds. No, Jesus spoke to him in Luke 23, 43, saying, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Almost as if served up on a platter. It's one of those softball pitches that you sometimes receive. I opened up my email this week, and you know when you see that long string of, of, uh, of subject lines? The subject line at the top of my most recent email said, Discover Paradise in Hawaii. 
It was an email from Delta Airlines. Not a bad place to discover paradise if you're looking for a place on earth. Paradise that you might discover is more of a pointer to what we will explore next week with the new heavens and the new earth. See, there in Hawaii, there's just the most beautiful ocean views you can imagine. There are there are mountain vistas, there are lush forests, there are vibrant rivers. But here's the thing. As beautiful as it is, if you are there alone, is it still paradise? No. Because paradise is with, and that is the paradise that Jesus speaks of here in Luke 23, and the paradise that we see throughout Scripture. That paradise is one that is marked by being with Jesus. The essence of paradise is being with Jesus. Can you imagine the joy of being there in His presence? John 17, verse 24, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays, for the disciples and for us, that we would be with Him in glory, beholding His glory, the glory He had with the Father before the beginning of time. And that is not a gift that is reserved for the select few who have scored a a backstage pass. It's for all, all of the redeemed who have been given the gift of grace through faith In Jesus Christ, for all of the redeemed, we will be in the presence of Jesus, beholding His glory with no filter. Why would Paul rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord? Because in heaven, with Jesus, we'll be in paradise, in His presence, immediately, And permanently. That is is the marker that we, we will experience in the intermediate state and enjoy for all eternity. But there's another aspect to this present heaven that is acknowledged in the catechism question that we just read. Our souls will be made perfect in holiness. Hebrews 12, 22-24. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood of that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Spirits of the righteous made perfect. Do you long for perfect holiness? Do you long for holiness? Or perhaps you hear that word and, and think of prudishness, of, of judgmentalism. Many of us, we hear the word holy and that's where our minds go, but... Sadly, that tells us more about ourselves than about holiness and the holiness of God. Perhaps we could consider it this way. 
Have you experienced the brokenness of this world? I know you have. Because I know many of your stories and those of you who have not yet had the privilege of hearing your story, I know that we all share in the fallenness of this world. We all share in pain and suffering and brokenness because it is the result of sin. Anger, relational strife and infidelity, self-focused coveting, betrayal, deceit, injustice of all kinds. All the wrongs that have been committed against you and all the wrongs that you have committed against others. It's all sin. It's impurity. It's the filth. And it marks our earthly existence. But do you know what marks our heavenly existence? None of that. None of that. Only holiness. Because in glory, in heaven, we won't be able to sin. Not us, nor others. We will be made perfect in holiness. Can you imagine finally being freed from the power and presence of sin? Can you imagine experiencing perfect intimacy in relationships? Freed from the fear of betrayal, freed from the fear of harm, freed from incessant self-focus, freed to be present, fully present, with others and with Jesus. Friends, what is the marker of heaven? Perfect purity. That's the marker of paradise with Jesus and with others when we are away from the body and with the Lord. I want to be careful as I make that last statement about being away from the body and with the Lord. It's not as if the body is bad. The body is good. It is beautiful. It is created by God. And there will be a day in the new heavens and the new earth where we will be reunited to our resurrected, perfected bodies. We'll get there next week where we talk about our embodied eternity. But now, now, we're focusing on the immediacy of glory. So having looked to heaven, how are we to live now in this world? Well, part of the answer is we keep looking to heaven. C.S. Lewis, who, who thought and spoke much of this, has shared with us, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. He goes on to say, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. Do you remember that list of people in the Bible that I told you who had been given visions of heaven? Isaiah and Ezekiel, Old Testament prophets, were given difficult ministries where they suffered and were largely rejected by those whom the Lord had called them to minister to. 
Paul in the New Testament. Was, he suffered greatly. He was beaten, rejected, and ultimately martyred for the faith. And then there was John, the apostle, who was exiled for the faith and was alone on the island of Patmos. The Lord gave these men these visions in order to build within them a beautiful anticipation for heaven, which we said last week will give us, through them, an eternal perspective, which sustains us in this life. It sustains us through suffering. It sustains us through hard ministries. It sustains us in this life. Have you considered why Jesus would teach about Lazarus and the rich man? In this reading from Luke 16, there is both teaching and encouragement. What's taught? Well, first of all, Jesus is teaching about this intermediate state. We we heard about the rich man who was thinking about his brothers who were still alive on this earth. It was not yet the resurrection. And there in the intermediate state, both the rich man and Lazarus were still alive. They were conscious. They were able to think, to feel pain, or at least the rich man was. Lazarus was able to feel perfect joy. They had memory of their earthly existence. In other words, they still possessed human personalities, though their state of being had changed. But those states were very different. They experienced very different realities. The rich man was in hell, even in the intermediate state he was in torment there and he desired for those who remained to hear this word he called out to abraham to send lazarus to his brothers the man in torment had a burden for the lost he he wanted he longed for someone to go and tell his brothers but what did abraham tell him he said no they have the word of god they have Moses and the prophets, and it is sufficient and efficient. That truth, that teaching, it ought stir within us an intolerable burden for the lost, a burden for evangelism, and an evangelism that is rooted in Bible proclamation. Because the Word of God points us to the salvation that is offered us in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. That is taught to us in Luke 16. But there is encouragement. The encouragement of Lazarus that is meant to sustain us. Do you consider what was Lazarus's earthly existence? It was marked by want. It was marked by shame. It was marked by isolation. Can you relate to his struggle? Can you relate to his experience on earth? But in paradise, in paradise, his existence was marked by comfort, by holiness, and by being in the presence of the saints. Do you long for this redemption? I believe it is the vision 
joy. Paradise. That Jesus gives us in his word to encourage us because he means for us to read it. And he means for us to look to heaven. Not so that we can neglect this world, but so that we can be sustained in it along the journey. This journey is marked by longing. But in the longing, there is certainty. There's a certainty found in Scripture, just as Abraham pointed the rich man's brothers to the Word of God, he points us to the Word of God. And in the Word of God, we find this certainty. And the blessed certainty reminds us this, that the rich man was not damned because he was rich. And Lazarus was not saved because he was poor. Both of them were separated from God because they were sinners. Just like every person in this room, in this hearing. Jesus, praise be to God, has come as the mediator of a new and better covenant. As Hebrews 12 told us, as I read, his blood speaks a better word than Abel. Abel was killed by his brother and his blood cries out for vengeance. But Jesus was killed by us. He was killed by our sin and yet his blood cries out for mercy and for life. How do you find this certainty when it comes to the hope of heaven? Many of us want to know that. We hear about heaven and we wonder, can I be certain? Where will we find that certainty? You will not find that certainty looking to yourself. You will not find that certainty looking to your personal record or to your New Year's resolution to do better in 2023. No, we will find this certainty only by looking to Jesus Christ and looking to Him in faith alone, and by faith in Him. Like the criminal on the cross, we too can have hope. Do you long for this life in paradise with Jesus? Derek Thomas, a pastor who has helped me to think about this series, describes that life as one of thinking, seeing, hearing, laughing, dancing, singing, worshiping. Glorious. And being reunited with Christian friends, relatives, saints of old, and Jesus. Maybe you're still here wondering about this notion of a temporary heaven, of an intermediate state, and wondering where is the blessing in all of that. I have a picture in my home of one of my heroes of the faith. I had an opportunity to look on it again yesterday to read the stories the hero of the faith was my great-great-grandfather, uh, James Stewart Dixon I. He was, uh, as I read the sermons that were preached at his funeral, to give. He's a powerful preacher of the Word of God who remained faithful to the Word until the very end. 
you're a mighty man of God. The picture of God is just him with my great-great-grandmother, Mary Agnes Dixon. They're in a canoe out on the water. And there is something so perfect about that. Because I get to see my family enjoying nature. It is an earthy picture of, of them enjoying earth. Now, my great-great-grandfather died young. He essentially worked himself to death. And his body, along with my great-great-grandmother, they're, they're lying in the grave. Having faithfully served King Jesus, their souls are with him now, perfect in holiness, but their bodies wait. And if Jesus does not return first, my body too will lay in the grave waiting on the resurrection. But on that day, in the final state, I will rise up with them at the same time and experience the new heavens and the new earth and, praise the Lord, a canoe with the two of them in the presence of Jesus. the hope of the intermediate state and the final state that we with the saints of old with the great cloud of witnesses will enjoy Jesus together now I understand that in this place that there are many of us who are longing for loved ones who have passed before us and those loved ones are much closer than great great grandparents hope is the same, that in Christ, we will share Jesus together, and that vision brings me joy. That vision sustains me now. It is the hope of heaven. And brothers and sisters, I pray it brings you joy. I pray it brings you hope. And that hope is yours by faith in Christ alone. Father, we, we want to see, we want to know that you give us glimpses. That those glimpses sustain us, but those glimpses are ultimately glimpses of Jesus. And I pray that you would give us the eyes of faith to look upon him as Savior that we might spend eternity with him in his presence, perfect in holiness, with all the cloud of witnesses. Would you do this miraculous work in us by the power of your Spirit? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.